0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. We're joined now by Lara Marlowe. Lara, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Um, you are not long back from Ukraine, and it's an extraordinary thing that uh, Ukraine is a country at war, uh, a war that grinds on. But for most of the people, including those producing grain for export, life goes on as usual.
1: Um, up to a point. I mean, there are a lot of uh, missile alerts, sirens. Um I, I don't think I spent a whole day without hearing a siren. Uh and you're always at risk of a of a missile blowing up um somewhere near you. Obviously the risk is much less than it is in the combat zone in um in the far east of Ukraine or on the the southern coast along the Black Sea. Those places are really, really dangerous. Uh, but you're right. Uh, life goes on. Um, the, ho- the restaurants are open, the nice hotels, uh, the trains cross the country, uh, and so on. You mentioned the grain producers. Um, the Russians have been attacking a lot recently the ports on the Danube because uh, Ukraine had rerouted their grain exports from the Black Sea to the Danube. And I think it was yesterday or the day before, there were there were two people killed in one of these ports on the Dan, Danube. So producing grain or at least shipping it out of Ukraine uh, can be a dangerous occupation these days.
0: Mm. Um, there was a, a photograph reproduced with one of your Irish Times articles uh, showing children returning to school. Um, you know, life going on as normal mm. and lots of uh, gaiety uh, visible in the picture.
1: Yes. Um, about the children returning to school, though, I was at the last city I, I spent a long time in was was Kharkiv in the far east of, far northeast of Ukraine, 40 kilometers from the Russian border. And there they were preparing the subway stations to be classrooms. Um, so that tells you something about the the pseudo normality of life in Ukraine. Uh, children are studying in s- converted subway stations because these are safe uh, bomb shelters.
0: Now the uh, the war grinds on, as I said, and you've been uh, interviewing women on the front line.
1: Um, that's right. I interviewed three women who are in well, two in combat units and one who's a logistician who travels very often to the front. And I found them absolutely amazing, extraordinary women, and they. They live, eat, sleep, wash, um, twenty four hours a day, uh, or at least for the for the two in the front line units, uh, with their the men who they call their brothers in arms. Uh, and they're very, very brave. They carry weapons. One of them was very badly wounded last January. Um she had shrapnel go through her pelvis. And she's still um, she's still recuperating from that. She walks with a crutch, uh, but she was ordered to go back to her unit. The laws governing wounded soldiers date from the 1990s, and the Women's Veterans Associations, called Veteranka, is campaigning both for men and women so that they will not be forced to go back into combat so soon after being wounded. Uh, but these women, I stress again, were absolutely extraordinary, and. It's not a story one hears very often about. I think our image of Ukrainian women is sort of weeping women, dragging suitcases and children uh, and and going to be refugees in the West. And obviously one understands that and they need to protect their children. But these women are fighters and they're determined to defend their country. And they're very, very brave.
0: And a, a psychologist remarked to you that Uh, sometimes PTSD is greater in those who fled rather than those who stayed.
1: Exactly. Um, Because the people who leave become addicted to social media where they're watching every missile attack, they're watching every uh, video of dead bodies and blood and explosions and that has a very bad psychological effect on you. I mean, I know that just before I left Paris last month for for Ukraine, uh, my interpreter sent me a video of a missile attack um, that had just happened in Zaporizhia. And when you see this, you, you hear the missile overhead and you see this huge explosion and the big orange fireball, and it's frightening. Uh, and I actually went... Regarding the war in Ukraine, I read a lot, I listen to a lot of podcasts and radio and, and, and so on. And obviously, when I'm there, I'm talking to people every day. Uh, but I avoid watching these videos because it can it it, it it frightens you, it stresses you, and the odds of being killed in one of those missile attacks are not that huge. Although, if you were in the market uh, yesterday in Donetsk, um, there were there were quite a few people killed. Uh, there were people killed in Chernihiv on the main public square when I was there. Uh, so it is a risk, but it is mm. it is less than in the combat zone.
0: Now, this is part clearly of a Russian tactic of uh, just random terror, that the idea is yes. to create in the population a sense of never feeling safe.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think a lot of people have just kind of taken it in stride. It, it made me think of Paris uh, in the late 2010s, when you never knew when there would be a jihadist attack, when there would be uh, a suicide bomber or somebody coming into a cafe or a restaurant and raking the place with machine gun fire. Um, that, that The sort of mentality is, well, the, the best defiance is just to, to continue living as usual. Obviously, there are some people who are very traumatized and who are very worried. Um, I noticed in Kharkiv, which is because... The further you go to the east, the more dangerous it is. In in Kharkiv, the older people stay inside, and I only saw them in food distribution queues, whereas the young people are out and about and having a good time, and and they just refuse to let their lives change uh, because of the war.
0: What is the attitude towards the revelations about uh, corruption in uh, the purchase and supply of munitions and equipment, um, the dismissal of the defence minister? Uh, uh, you know What uh, does that create in the population? Is there a malaise about that?
1: Yes, I, I think that w- one argument I've heard is that This is a a benefit of the war in a sense that corruption is being weeded out. I mean, as you know, uh, Zelensky has just just fired the defence minister, not because the defence minister was personally corrupt. In fact, he's being sent as ambassador to London. But because there was corruption in the defence ministry, there were big kickbacks on contracts um, at one point for food, also for uniforms. They were sold... Uh, allegedly winter uniforms, which turned out to be summer uniforms. And the defense minister had failed to deal with this. Um, I did, I had a taxi driver in Dnipro, uh, who was complaining about the mayor of his city. And what he regarded as a parking racket, the mayor was associated with a company that owned all the parking lots, and he was charging huge amounts and so on. He was he was really, really angry, and he was also upset about the possibility of being drafted. So yes, some people are upset about it, but by and large, people weren't really complaining. They sort of shrugged their shoulders and say, well, this was a very corrupt country. It's not as bad as it was, and because of the pressure from the European Union and NATO on Ukraine to reform itself, uh, they think it's it's headed in the right direction. Mm
0: -hmm. How confident are people that the war will be won? And how do they react to uh, those, some of them in the West, who call for peacemaking and uh, perhaps ceding territory permanently to the Russians?
1: There is a small minority uh who tell you that a bad peace is better than a good war, uh, but the vast majority of people I talked to, and there were dozens, um, dozens and dozens of them, are determined to get their territory back. Um, uh, Delyak, who's uh an advisor to Zelensky, said a couple of weeks ago, um he he talks about the Munich syndrome. Uh, I.e. appeasement in the Second World War by, by Chamberlain and Daladier, and, and he says he criticised uh, the Western politicians, people like Nicolas Sarkozy, who are, are more than happy to sacrifice Ukrainian territory so that they can stop this wretched war. Um, but the Ukrainians believe that if they don't win this war, if they don't stop Vladimir Putin, we'll just have to fight again. Uh, and they, they compare this to, to the, the run-up to the Second World War and the fact that, that Hitler uh, took the Sudetenland and, and then invaded Poland. And, you know, if you, if you look back at the history, recent history, um, Putin took 20% of Georgia back in 2008 and nobody stopped him. And now he's got 20% of Ukraine. And I think there's a very strong feeling that if you don't stop him now, you're going to have to, it will just get worse and worse and he'll become more and more greedy and want more and more territory.
0: How do they think the war is going to change? Because they have been making slow progress, but hampered by minefields, uh, which the Russians have planted, and therefore, um, you know, the potential for huge attrition if they go forward too fast. Uh, Mm. And the arrival of uh, jet fighter aircraft and more and more sophisticated weaponry from the West. Meanwhile, uh, we see Putin uh, going to be talking to the North Koreans about uh, a supply of arms.
1: Which, which seems very humiliating for Putin to have to go to North Korea. Um, yeah, the Ukraine, I think the impatience is on the side of the Westerners. Um, there, there's been a a lot of talk about a a New York Times piece and then subsequently a piece in the Wall Street Journal quoting anonymous armchair strategist saying that the, Um, the Ukrainian tactics or the Ukrainian strategy was not the right one, that they've got too many men, too too much uh, materiel on the eastern front and they need to concentrate on the southern front and and so on and so forth. I think the, the Ukrainians are patient. They know this is going to be a very, very long slog Um, they've been asking for these F-16 fighter jets for, for well over a year. I mean, more or less since the beginning, and they won't get them until next year. Um, although I've seen, you know, Western experts saying that the F-16s won't make that big a difference. I, 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 don't know if they will. I mean, certainly in recent days, they've been making progress. Um, they've taken a town called Robotine which is in in southern Ukraine and um they're going moving onwards towards, towards a little town called Verbove um the goal is to go another 30 kilometers to a place called Tokmak i mean what they want to do is break the russian supply lines in southern yeah. Ukraine and if they can do that this this counteroffensive which started in June will be considered a success um I don't know, I, I, I guess the, the, the common wisdom is that time plays in, into the hands of the Russians because they're a much bigger country, they have a much bigger population, they have a, a, a bigger supply of, of weapons, a lot of it is, is is old and clapped out and so on. On the other hand, you know, the Ukrainians have a kind of motivation um, that, the, that the Russians do not uh I think the, the the ukrainians believe that ultimately they will win uh I think there's a certain insecurity about the perennity of western support uh in particular because of the u s presidential election uh in November of twenty twenty four um uh, they I, I do hear arguments for example there was a a businessman prominent businessman in in Kiev who I talked to who says he wants Ukraine to step up production of its own weapons. He wants Ukraine to be a huge weapons-producing country after the war. Uh, he says we have to rely on ourselves and, and we can do this and you know nobody will mess with us and it will be very good for our economy too. That's not necessarily the kind of uh, post-war Ukraine I would like to see. Uh, But that's the sort of thinking that's there, is that they know they have to rely on themselves and and they're they're willing to to, um, stick it out for the long haul.
0: Lara Marlowe, thank you very much uh, for uh, joining us. And uh, just a a thought for the Ukrainians that for many of them, this war is not just 18 months old. It is almost 10 years old uh, with the taking of Crimea, the annexation of Crimea in 2014. The war really began then.